Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bodler, and I am the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal, and your host for Talk Plus Water. This is Lucky Podcast number 13. My guest today is Peter Lake. Peter is the chairman of the Texas Water Development Board. Peter's diverse professional background includes time as a derivatives trader on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, a special operations executive at Vantage Cat Partners, and a business development executive at Upstream Energy Company. Peter holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Chicago and an MBA from Stanford. Welcome, Peter, and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So let's start out with your background in water. Uh, How did you first become involved in water issues? Well, obviously with the last name Lake, I've been involved from day one. (laughs) (laughs) I was very, very clearly born for this job. Uh, But I mean, the reality is we're all involved with water every day. Uh, Some people realize that more than others. Uh, And of course, my work in the energy space has a very close relationship with water, but uh, my most relevant background as it relates to this agency in Texas Water is in the financial markets. Uh, The Texas Water Development Board is one of the largest issuers of water bonds in the country. And so my background in the government bond market space uh, was the most relevant and applicable to the TWDB. So when uh, Governor Abbott appointed you to the board in 2015 and then later made you chairman in 2018, uh, when you, you know, first were appointed, what did you think serving on the board would be like and has uh, it uh, kind of turned out the way you, you thought it would be? Well, Todd, I would... Had never worked in government or the public sector before, so I, I didn't really know what to expect. I was just excited to play a role in public service and contribute to the state of Texas. Coming from the private sector, I'll be honest, there was a little bit of culture shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I got my feet under me, I was incredibly impressed with the quality of the people we have here at the Water Development Board and the immense scale and and quality of the work that they put out uh, in dealing with very big challenges across a big and diverse state. Um, It was, I mean, this this agency, probably one of the most surprising things was the, the scale and complexity of the challenges that this single agency deals with. Uh, Texas has every water problem, every water challenge you can come up with, deserts, swamps, high plains, coastal prairies. Uh, so there's, there's no water challenge we don't face. Uh, our agency has a mandate across science, planning, and financing. And I'm sure you've heard the same kind of talking point that I have about the Texas economy standalone is the 10th largest country in the world by GDP. 
Uh, so it's really, I, I mean, I was really surprised that this agency, the Water Development Board, is really a, a global size institution. I mean, we have the same, I mean, we're dealing with the same kind of challenges on the same scale as sovereign nations like Israel, Australia, Singapore. Uh, so that, that was really surprising, but also incredibly impressive uh, that the folks here address those challenges so effectively and so well. Uh, and when we go to, I mentioned selling the water infrastructure bonds before, uh, a lot of the bankers and investors in New York who evaluate these different water bonds from different parts of the country and different parts of the world actually call us a quote-unquote semi-sovereign. Hmm. It's not a sovereign bond. It's not a national bond. But Texas Water is pretty close to sovereign scale and and the quality of the Texas product is something they literally call a semi semi-sovereign bond. So, so sovereign and semi-sovereign, that's an evaluation of how, uh, you know, just how solid the investment is. Is that absolutely that's how they look at our at Texas water bonds relative to other potential investments? Um, obviously, we're one of the bigger states and one of the larger countries, tremendous economy, a great Texas story. And the, from the outside looking in, they're very clear that they think Texas is very well run, AAA credit rating and is managed overall very well. Uh, so I think it's just what what in uh, a corner of the investing world in New York is kind of a little slang investing term, semi-sovereign, is actually a pretty good indication of uh, all the good work that's going on here, both in Texas water and, and the state as a whole. So it's really interesting. You know, I don't think I don't think many people would think about that aspect of it um, being associated with uh, a water agency. And so I guess you know you you're, you travel to New York, you meet with uh, I guess the bond rating houses or the bond traders, and they ask you about uh, water projects in Texas and and, and how you how you uh, implement the funds that the legislature's given you and and they they make up their minds about whether they're um, interested in in purchasing the bonds. Absolutely. Right? Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, we meet with credit rating agencies and more importantly, investors who are actually going to lend us money. And the oh. legislature has given us tremendous resources. And a big part of that uh, in an effort smartly on the legislature's part is to leverage those dollars, get the most bang for the buck for the state dollars, is to leverage the bond market. But that means we've got to go not only to New York, but we uh, next week we're going to be on a marathon like six cities in five days investor tour talking to the people who manage pension funds and insurance company funds uh, investment funds all trying to convince them to lend us your money so we can help continue to build out texas water infrastructure don't lend it to somebody else. Lend it to us. Send it to Texas. Uh, and so it's a major effort, and, and a lot of work goes into it. But at the end of the day, we've been very successful at that. And that speaks to the foresight and vision of the legislature, the quality of the work, the staff, the Water Development Board, and really the entire Texas water professional community. So we don't build and operate any actual water infrastructure. We don't operate dam gates. We don't drill groundwater wells, you know, run canals or pipelines. That's the 
that's our stakeholders, our customers on the ground in local communities, river authorities, water districts. So it's, it really speaks to the quality of the work that they do as well. Well, I can see how it's a real advantage for the state to have someone like you on the board who's got that kind of financial experience. And uh, you've got two other board members. They have different backgrounds as well. And so uh, I imagine that uh, you all, all three of you complement each other in terms of your, your knowledge base and, and how that, uh, uh, you know, benefits the, the agency in fulfilling its mission. Absolutely, and I'm grateful to have them. Uh, Director Jackson is an engineer by trade, and she is the queen of the road. Uh, we've I learned very quickly not to try to keep up with her. She's, <laughs> uh, she, she is everywhere all the time, and Director Pop is an attorney with long time and very valuable experience in environmental law and state government. And so she is a tremendous resource uh, for all of us on the board to lean on. So let's go back and, and talk a little bit about the board itself. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the uh, history of the board and uh, the three areas that, I think it's three areas that you said, maybe I got that wrong, that you're, you're most focused on. So the Texas Water Development Board was founded in 1957 after the devastating drought of that decade. The state endured multi-year drought that had a really, really crushing impact on all aspects of life. And that's when the state legislature realized that they needed to take a holistic statewide look at water. And as you know, water is by far the most important resource in all of our lives. And over the next several decades, the agency did a lot of good work, uh, work developing water resources, and you really have to give credit to the generations before us because a lot of the water that we enjoy now across the state was developed and put in place decades before it was needed. And that kind of vision and willingness to put forth the effort and the resources to ensure that future generations have water has paid off tremendously. Texas has no natural lakes, and now we've got over 100 reservoirs. Uh, so that, that doesn't happen by accident. So we we're, have a lot to be grateful for, for the folks that came before us. In 2013, the agency was elevated to what I call Texas Water 2.0. Uh, in the 21st century, we were dealing with new challenges, new capabilities, new resources. So the legislature essentially recapitalized the agency uh, with a lot of the new resource, financial resources you mentioned earlier, and also reorganized it a bit so we have the three full-time board members now. And that's where we got our SWIFT program, which I know we'll touch on in a little bit. But that's... That really supercharged the financial capability agency and for the first time ever fully integrated the three components of, of what we do, water science, water planning, and water financing. And not only do I think we're one of the largest water infrastructure banks in the world, to the extent we're, we're in many ways an infrastructure bank, but as far as I know, we're the only 
program that fully integrates water science, identifying, quantifying the water, where it is, how much there is there, with long-range regional water planning, looking around on a regional basis, cooperative across large areas of the state, figuring out how much water you've got, how much you're going to need over the next 50 years, and if it looks like you're going to come up short, what are the strategies you're going to do to develop the water supply you need? And then finally linking that planning to real financial resources, uh, tremendous financial resources so that stakeholders around the state can utilize our water science. Um, water ignores political boundaries, cities, county, things like that, you know. So utilize that science, and that way the state knows that quality science is being utilized. Use that as a foundation for the long-term planning process, working with your neighbors across the region so everybody's singing from the same sheet of music. And then finally, if stakeholders participate in the planning with their neighbors, if they use the quality science, then they have access to the financial resources in the, in the SWIFT program, State Water Implementation Fund for Texas. Uh, and it's been, as far as I know, it's, it's the only fully integrated water infrastructure program like that in the world, and it has been tremendously successful. So... <clears throat> Uh, with the new structure of, of three permanent board members, uh, you and Director Jackson and Director Powell, uh, you're able to get out and interact with the water community uh, in, in ways that the part-time board members weren't able to do. And so, of course, I follow you on social media, and, you know, y'all are very active. I'll just say that. And, I, you know, I see a lot of folks, uh, you know, coming to your meetings all over the state, wherever you happen to be on a given day. Um, how do you, how would you say that kind of interaction is, is, uh, is affected the implementation of the agency's mission? It's been, a, first and foremost, a tremendous opportunity to interact with the people who make things happen, that make it all work. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're very, very much an infrastructure bank. We don't own, operate, or actually build anything. So we're, uh, it's, we're grateful to have the chance to interact with people. And like I said, I mean, Director Pop, Director Jackson are road warriors. We're all traveling all the time. Uh, but the most important thing I've learned from having the full-time board structure and being so engaged with water professionals across the state is that most good ideas don't come from the Capitol. Uh, they don't come from headquarters. And it's the folks on the ground who know their areas, know their resources, their challenges, and, and the solutions that are best for them. Those are the folks who can really help us drive to solutions that make Texas water work. You know, I can see that um, reflected in the water plans. You know, I've got a collection. I got the, I got the one, first one in 61, and then I've got a, like a preliminary one in 67, and then uh, the 60, is it 68? Um, and, you know, all the ones since. You've read them all cover to cover, right? Well, I read right, those sections having to do with the Edwards Offering. Yes, I've read this <laughs> and Guadalupe River. I've read those for sure. Uh, 
But what's you know reflected in that is, of course, the the top-down approach for which which was used to develop those, and now the approach that you have, where uh, the stakeholders in the 16 regions are developing the plans, and uh, you know, as you said, those ideas that are are outside of the capital are being brought in in part through those, the planning process. And so uh, that's what uh, I really love about the interaction uh, between you and, and the other directors and the stakeholders is that it, you know, it's reflected in that process as well. Um, Fun fact about the early 60s state water plans, uh, while aquifer storage and recovery is a, is a very key strategy in our current water planning, it was also part of either the 61 or the 67 plan for very different reasons. And do you know the, the reason why aquifer storage and recovery? Yeah, you're going to stump me. It was, it was mainly to make sure that our water supply wasn't contaminated by radioactive fallout from if the Cold War went hot. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Now, I, I do know that uh, Teller, you know, the physicist, had proposed setting off a hydrogen bomb underneath uh, portions of the western United States to fracture rock and allow uh, water to move in groundwater in some areas that, can you believe that? I did read that. And he, at least he proposed this, but... Um, I bet he would get some public feedback. On I think that. he would. I think he would too. I think he would too. Well, you know, when you look at the '68 plan, and you see how you know there's a canal going down to the Rio Grande area, Rio Grande Valley, and then there's one going up into the Panhandle. You know, it's very much a Cold War kind of plan. You know, ramping up agricultural production as part of the, you know. Um, effort during the Cold War to provide, you know, food supplies in our global competition, you know, who's, you know, the Soviets are doing the same thing. They go to the RLC and they, they drain it and cause that one. They, they actually did that. That didn't work so well. No, it's not worked so well. It's been a big, a big disaster, but, um, but anyway, so that's interesting. I'd never heard that. That's not in the plan, is it? It's not. Is it written in the plans of place? Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Well, see what I do with my weekends. You, you read the footnotes or something? I, admit, I didn't do that. Uh, so let's let's talk a bit about um, the uh, State Water Implementation Fund, or SWIFT, which the legislature created in 2013. Um, that's uh, um, is that the largest fund that that the, the board has? That is. That's the largest fund that we manage and very much our flagship fund. And it is completely dedicated to new water supply projects identified in the state water plan. Uh, and uniquely about our state water plan, as we discussed, it's, it's built from the bottom up. 450 folks from around the state, 16 regional groups. And then it starts with a regional plan. And each of, so each of the 16 regional planning groups come up with their own regional water plan. And importantly, 
the members of that planning group must vote to approve that plan. And so there's accountability across the region, which is a very good incentive for cooperation with your neighbor, making sure everybody is working together. And it also provides a great uh, platform and great incentive for folks to team up. Uh, work on regional projects together, build one pipeline a little bigger instead of building two. Um, so it's, and importantly, because there is that regional accountability and because SWIFT only provides financing for projects in the state water plan, it's provided a tremendous incentive for folks around the state to team up, work together in those regional planning groups. And since SWIFT was put in place in 2013, we've seen something like a almost 50% increase in participation in the planning process. That's great. Absolutely. That's exactly exactly what we're are hoping, exactly how we hope it would work. Do you uh, see evidence that other states are taking notice of that and, and trying to replicate that program? Uh, we we obviously always like to have con- ongoing conversations with our friends and neighbors, uh, but so far I'm not aware of anybody who's uh, gone to quite the degree of integrated, comprehensive um, science planning and financing. But it's been tremendous. It's been a tremendous success. It was first implemented. It was established in 2013. It was first officially launched in 2015. And since 2015, in four years, the SWIFT program has provided financing for $5.5 billion worth of water infrastructure projects. It's made commitments to finance a total of $8.2 billion of water infrastructure projects. That translates to 1.5 million acre feet per year of new water supply. And for the people of state of Texas, that's, once the projects are completed, that is 488 billion gallons per year, which, by my math, provides should on, should on average provide water for six million people every year. And as I keep mentioning, the incentive part of the SWIFT program, as part of that financing program, the state of Texas through SWIFT will pay part of the interest for a local borrower, local municipality, river authority. That has totaled $845 million to date. So that's $845 million of capital, financial benefit to the communities that participate in our water science, participate in the regional planning, partner with their neighbors. Uh, so that's, in four years, $845 million is a lot of good reasons to do your water science, do your water planning, uh, and we're still going strong and I mean, some of the more broad policy benefits have been starting projects sooner. Build it before you need it. Uh, when did Noah build the ark before it started raining? So we, you know, we want these projects built sooner. The SWIFT program has really jump-started a lot of programs. It has provided the financial incentive for, say, groups, groups that don't always work the best together to come to the table because there's real dollars and it's a real benefit. And we've seen a lot of regionalization uh, amongst projects. Southeast Texas, the Loose Bayou Project in Houston, Integrated Pipeline in Dallas, uh, the Alliance 
network in Central Texas. So it's it, it it has been successful by every measure that I can think of. So I can see that that incentive. Um, accomplishing what you say uh, based on my time with the uh, water planning process early on uh, when that fund was available, that there was maybe a lot less cooperation uh, among the regions because they were competing for you know, very, very limited resources and now there's you know, a real incentive for them to, to work together. Uh, Let's talk about, you know, we talked about funding water projects. Let's talk a little bit about the value of water. Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm always, I'm, um, you know, I'm always of the, the persuasion that, boy, it sure is undervalued. But, um, you know, not everybody is. What, what do you have to say about the value of water? Well, I always like to start with uh, Adam Smith's water diamond paradox. With them. I'm sure you're familiar um, Every day other than Valentine's Day, diamonds are almost entirely worthless. Yeah, they're incredibly expensive. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum, water is incredibly useful, incredibly value every day. Can't get, nobody can get very far without it, but it's almost universally cheap. Um, and of course, part of that paradox is, built, is, is because at random intervals, it falls from the sky for free. Like no other resource food, energy, nothing else works like that. So it's, it's very clearly a challenge. Uh, but one of the most interesting things I like to think about in, in terms of the way we've structured water, both in the U.S. and around the world, is really we bifurcated the cost of water. What does it cost to acquire it, convey it, treat it, get it to your, from where it is to your house? That cost is very different number than the price that we charge. Right. That's that's the monthly bill you get at your house, and that is that number is completely segregated from the value of water. What is the value any individual gets from utilizing that water at that point in time? And of course, buried beneath all of this is how the value changes over time. And for me, that's the most important part of water, the economics of water, the value of water, that has really been overlooked. If, and it's not terribly complex, right? In a drought, water is immensely valuable. In a flood, not only is it not valuable, it's probably got a negative value. You know, it's not only will I not pay you for additional gallon of water, Todd, I'll pay you to get it out of here. It's destroying people and property. And so we haven't, haven't, uh, there hasn't been a, a system I've found anywhere that really captures that, manages that, those differences. Um, Israel went to fully priced, fully costed water, where they got all three, they got the cost, the price. Uh, they didn't, they didn't quite get to the value part of the three components of the economics of water, but they got the cost and the price, and they made those the same number, and that really jolted the Israeli water industry, as you know, and drove a lot of desalination, a lot of innovative water technology, a lot of conservation. And interestingly, initially the price spiked the first year or two they used the fully priced water. But once people adapted, recognized how the, the value of water they started conserving, started implementing innovative technology, 
And so now the, the price of Israeli water is lower or near the same price that it was before they implemented it, huh. which I thought was interesting, interesting uh, economic uh, yeah. trivia point. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the origin of the board uh, really goes back to the drought of record, as you mentioned earlier, which ended, ended in 1957. And uh, on the flip side of that is flooding. And of course, the state went through some you know, really almost unimaginable flooding as a result of Hurricane Harvey. And uh, in the aftermath of that, uh, the Water Development Board published the first state flood assessment in 2018. And uh, that uh, assessment provides an initial assessment of flood risks in Texas, overview of the roles and responsibilities, and estimates of flood mitigation costs, um, stakeholder points of view on flood planning. Uh, and here we are uh, in 2019, the legislature met this spring, and they have now uh, asked the board uh, to create uh, the first uh, you know, state-scale flood plan uh, that you've got to adopt by 2024 and implement a couple of new funds, uh, the Flood Infrastructure Fund and the Texas Infrastructure Resiliency Fund. So let's let's talk about all that. That's a lot. <laughs> we want to start. It took me a lot of time to read all that, um, and I can't imagine uh, how much work that's requiring. So, um, what uh, uh, what's the board doing, and and how are you doing it? Uh, we're doing it a, a lot, and we're doing it very quickly. Is the short answer? Uh, as you said, the the legislature has given us a tremendous mandate. I'm very appreciative of the confidence the legislature has shown this agency, uh, and I think that's very much an indication of what I said earlier about the quality of the people we have and the quality of work we've done on the planning and financing through the SWIFT program uh, to date. We've got two very big mandates ahead of us, um, and it really goes back to a lot of what we learned about Texas water over the last half century and give credit to the legislature's vision on this, they've essentially put together a flood mitigation program that takes, while flooding is very different than water supply planning, they've taken the lessons learned from 50, 60 years of water planning and applied the principles that worked best there to addressing flood in Texas. And the result is, as far as I know, the first fully integrated mapping planning mitigation flood program in the world of this scale. There's some folks around the world who, especially in Europe, who do some very clever and innovative things. But the scale of, and there's some local entities that do very good job of flood mitigation, but the scale of the state of Texas, the legislature has mandated and funded new floodplain maps. So once the program is up and running, no municipality, city, district in Texas should have 
to struggle with outdated floodplain maps. Right now, we've still got people working on paper floodplain maps from 10, 15, 20 years ago. So they put real resources behind that to make sure that we have an ongoing rotating program of updating floodplain maps across the state. That's going to be the foundation for the flood planning process. You mentioned the state flood plan. This is where that comes into play. And again, there's that link between using good science to provide the foundation for good planning. And for the first time ever in Texas, we're going to have regional flood planning groups. And flooding, what happens upstream affects the folks downstream and vice versa. And unfortunately, to date, it's, it's been pretty fragmented planning efforts. We're going to change that by putting everybody around the same table and having real cooperation across water basins, watersheds, and real accountability. Earlier I mentioned the voting mechanism and the regional water supply planning groups. That's neighbors talking together, holding each other accountable. We're going to have, I don't know what it'll look like yet, but it'll be a similar mechanism in the state flood planning groups folks upstream and downstream sitting around the same table talking about what strategies they're going to use to mitigate flood and there will be accountability for the first time ever up and down that watershed once those regional groups have their regional flood plan in place then that rolls up to the state flood plan and once just like in water supply and the state water plan, the state flood plan will be the roadmap for the mitigation finance. And that's those are the two funds you mentioned, the, uh, the TARF, Texas Infrastructure Resiliency Fund, and the fifth, the Flood Infrastructure Fund. The first one, the TARF, is very much a rehab and reinforcing fund, uh, repairing what's broken, reinforcing, elevating infrastructure helping repair the damage from floods, uh, primarily Hurricane Harvey. The second funding program, the Flood Infrastructure Fund, or FIF, we like acronyms a lot. <laughs> uh, that's very much a future-proofing funding program. So that's resiliency, making sure that in future events, people and property are protected. And that funding program will be tied directly to the state flood plan and very specifically in the legislate enabling legislation the the Texas legislators are called for both before and after the state flood plan is implemented that neighbors working with neighbors to make sure that flood mitigation is coordinated we we don't want any more of folks upstream building deeper wider channels that gets the water out of their area and just floods right. the, the next set of folks faster. Uh, we want it coordinated, comprehensive, and so uh, I, mean, I couldn't be prouder of the work this agency has done and, and, and couldn't be more grateful for the vision of the legislature to put together that integrated mapping, planning, uh, mitigation structure. So it all ties together, one's conditional on the other. You don't get the money if you don't do the planning, and you don't get the money if you don't do the planning, and you don't use updated maps. So somewhat similar to the uh, water planning process, that's water supply planning process that's already in place in, in many ways, which is a successful well, yeah, model. Yeah, I mean, it's, like as you know, water supply and flooding are right. very, very different. Mm -hmm. Drought is 
slow creeping devastation flood is instant right instant uh, disaster uh, so very different physical and meteorological conditions but the principles that we found that worked in water supply are being implemented in the flood side good science real regional cooperation and planning and making all of that good science good planning conditional access to the funding conditional on good science and good planning so you'll have these individual flood flood plans and then uh i guess is it going to be analogous to how uh the water planning process is done you know the the plans have to be kind of fit together meshed together to make one state flood plan is that they'll eventually be integrated into uh, a single state flood plan obviously the hydrology of flooding is different than water supply you know better than most Uh, so it's it's very much a watershed driven model uh, you know floodplains or floodwaters only go downhill mm-hmm. uh, so the, it, it's different when it comes to the physical and technical size but yes at the end of the day it will all be integrated and into a state flood plan and that's where the projects will each the projects that have been identified as high priority flood mitigation projects will get the financing they need. There's a tremendous effort to coordinate with federal financial resources to make sure that state dollars are being put to use in the most capital efficient way. As our federal dollars, we don't want one dollar doing the same thing another dollar could be doing, mixing and matching. Right. If, match, if, if local dollars are needed to match federal dollars, we want to leverage that as much as we can, of course. Uh, so there's nothing about it that's not complex, but it's been a lot of thought put into it and, and a lot of stakeholder input around the state. We just finished a two-week statewide tour uh, with staff and board members going around to different parts of the state listening to what stakeholders have to say how should these funds work how should the planning process work uh, you know again back to listening to folks on the ground the people who know their areas their challenges the best and who have the best ideas on how to address them in their particular areas uh, texas is very diverse uh, coastal flooding rivering you know versus Mountainous, kind of arroyo, flashy Flash flooding, flights, yeah. slow rising, wide and deep, flash flooding, and steeper topography and terrain, uh, riverine flooding versus drainage issues. All of all of these challenges are going to have to be sifted and sorted. Um, but that's that's part of the challenge. And at the end of the day, uh, it's going to take a while to get it all up and running. But my hope and my goal is that when we look around after the next event, we can say more people and more property were safer this time than last time. We did it better this time. So let's um, go ahead and uh, wrap up with a question about accomplishments. What are what are the things that? Uh, the board has done since you've been on the board that you're most proud of? Uh, Well, the SWIFT program has been a tremendous success, as we discussed. 
I'm lucky that I get to stand on the shoulders of my predecessors who've done tremendous work in establishing that program, launching that program, and, and guiding it to the success uh, we see today. Uh, for me, the single biggest accomplishment in my time as chairman has been the flood legislation and the flood program that we're launching. It's truly unprecedented. It's truly groundbreaking and unlike anything else anywhere in the world. And it will make a tremendous difference in life in Texas and make a lot of Texans safer. That's great. That's great. You have a water quote you want to share with us today as a final I'll, item? I'll tell you my favorite quote if, you, if you'll share your favorite water quote. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what is my favorite water quote? Um, let's see. <clears throat> water is the noblest of all elements. Oh, I like that one a lot. That's very good. Uh, my, my favorite water quote, since we've been talking about drought and flood, mm-hmm. is that... And the value of water. How has it changed? Is it undervalued? Is it overvalued? Yeah. It depends on what, what point in time. Where are you between flood and drought? But at the end of the day, no matter what the weather is doing, water always matters. There you go. There you go. That's great. Thank you, Peter. Um, Thank you, John. It's been great having you on. So... This has been Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. My guest today was Peter Lake, who is the chairman of the Texas Water Development Board. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texaspluswater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bodler, the host of Texas Plus Water. Let's talk water again soon.